issues. And I'm also very sure you had a good time in the Sunday school this morning, or what we call School of Timothy. We're talking about things like that, which are very, very important. They are keys in life. You really want to live financial freedom. You want to come to the place where you are not going to be a beggar all the days of your life. You want to come to the place of stability in life. You need all of these CDs put together. You need to go through them, listen to them. Amen? And you need to apply these principles. No matter how small your income is, you can live well. Amen? You can live well. No matter how small your income is. You can live well. You can live very happy, very happily. All the time, every day. Because you see, that is nothing as, as good as coming to knock on your door anytime. Right? A situation where people don't just come knocking on your door anytime. They come knocking maybe because they want to visit, not because they want to make a demand. That is nothing as good as that. Hallelujah. May your phone not ring and your heart become troubled. Amen. I'm praying for you. You know, sometimes your, heart, your phone rings and you're in trouble. Because, oh, oh, oh is this again? Oh, oh, who is this again? I can't take this call. Why don't you want to take the call? You know what you're talking about. Eh? Your phone will not ring that way in the name of Jesus. Okay, this morning is a subject that's a little bit, uh, it's, it's, it's a subject that people don't like talking about. I remember, last week I made mention of it to you that Jesus discussed so much about money. Over 700 times Money matter mentioned in the Bible, Jesus was talking about money. Money is important. And let's not run away from it because somebody has abused it. Uh, abusing a thing doesn't mean the thing is not important or it's not relevant. Anything can be abused in life depending on the understanding, the knowledge of the people. Amen? So this entire thing. That might subject, as far as I'm concerned, if I have to go into studies, but I'm treating Titan this morning, but the, the title is Titan as Grace Given. I want you to understand that. Titan as Grace Given. I want you to first of all understand as I begin to discuss with you that Titan is not a law. Titan is a full of grace. Amen. Hallelujah. And so many people say it's a law. We are not under law. We are under grace. Fine. And that's exactly what I'm saying. We are not under the law. We are under grace. Tithing is a grace-given principle. Can I hear an amen to that? I'm going to make you see all of that from the scriptures. I have some couple of scriptures I want to read this morning. I said, I think the best thing I have to do after now is to do a little bit of write-up on this subject so that people can see my own perspective about it. But let me start with this. We must separate... Now, now, understanding the difference between the principle of divine and doubt of dominion. That is, that is the difference between divine ownership and dominion. In dominion, you are giving power what is not yours. Ownership is or take responsibility for a thing to come into existence. Okay? An owner owns a thing, but he can give that person or God somebody else authority to manage a property for him. The one that is given that privilege to manage a property has dominion, but it's not the owner. 
Hallelujah. When the Bible says let man have dominion, doesn't mean man is the owner. Somebody owns the earth, but it was given to man to do what? To manage. So the principle of dominion is the same thing as the principle of stewardship. The Bible says, the earth and the full nature belongs to who? Belongs to God. And they that dwell therein. So the earth and they that dwell therein belongs to who? Belongs to God. So God owns all things. Not just your money, he owns you too. Because he says the earth and the Lord belongs to the Lord. And they that dwell there, right? So, you are God's property. Meaning, even your money is God's money. But he say, have dominion over your money. In other words, manage the money for me who owns you. The garden was God's. But God asked Adam to manage the garden. The garden was not Adam's own. He was the property of God. That is why when he misbehaved, he was kicked out. Can you get that? Come on, are we together? So you may have dominion, but you can be kicked out. If you can manage the proper money for the one that owns it. Then I can't be surprised if men can their words. That is why it's crucial in this things we are teaching that you understand them. It's very important that people can lose their money. People can come down financially. When you miss the principle of divine management, the ethics of money, you can come down no matter how much you have. It's all part of being kicked out of Eden for not being good stewards. With your dominion mandate. Hallelujah. Does that go, that are sinking? Okay. Now I want to be talking about tithing like I said. And like I said. Again. Uh, tithing is a grace given. It's not a law. Okay. The fourth place you're going to hear or see about tithing the Bible is the book of Genesis. Now remember that it's what we call the principle of false occurrence in the Bible. You need to go back to any time you're teaching the doctrine to find out the first place where that thing is mentioned and begin to find out precisely how and why it is mentioned and it is applied. Okay, so the first place you're going to find about Titan in the Bible is Genesis 14. Alright, and then you start reading from verse 17 down to 18. So I'll just speak about the background to that or the verse 20. Here was Abraham... That went to war to rescue his uh, cousin or whatever, Lord. And he was coming back, defeated five kings, as the case may be. The Bible says he came back, came back with all the spoils from the war. And here we are told he paid tithe out of the thing he brought back from the war unto Melchizedek. Is that okay? He gave it a tithe unto Melchizedek. And Melchizedek bless him with bless the wine. Okay. But if you look at the story properly, I think Melchizedek first blessed him before Abraham paid tithes. Have you noticed that? 
Come on, have you noticed that? Good. He didn't pay tithe first. He blessed him before he paid tithe. And like I always said, speaks of the new order. The bread which is the body of which is his blood. Amen. He gave him a covenant principle, and Abraham recognized that as well, and he paid tithe. He was able to appreciate, as we're going to find on later, who God is and the source of his supply. Hallelujah. So, now, we must also understand here that Abraham tied as a free will, a kind of thanksgiving for the victory God in the war. It was not a law. Watch this. Abraham paid tithe. That was about 400 years before the law was given to Mount Sinai. Remember, because he paid a tithe before you talk about Isaac and Jacob. And then the children of Jacob went to Egypt and became slaves. Are you getting that? Before they came out, the law finally came in. And Mount Sinai. But then Abraham already paid tithe. So you can't say tithe is a law. Now, if you know that Abraham operated in grace, then you just need to understand that the principle of tithing is a grace principle. Because Abraham was counted to be a righteous man even before the law was established. So Abraham's righteousness was not based on the law. So his giving was not based on the law. So tithing is not the law. Does that make sense? I'm trying to establish some fact because there is an abuse of this word that anybody talks to you about tithing is taking you back to the law. That's not true. Okay. So I want you to know that. Now, when did Abraham, in the true sense, let me use the word, got his understanding or principle from? There was no law. So how did Abraham know that they had to be tithing? Okay. Now, First of all, you need to understand this. I'm going to be taking my time so that you can catch the things I'm saying. Tithing was a common practice in the Middle East. It did not originate with Abraham. Amen? It was a kind of an income for the king and his kingdom. Just like taxation is for our present government. Is that okay? Right. Now, the Hebrew is a Semitic language, Semitic, I mean, which relates or is, is related to the Akkadian language, the lingua franca of that time of Abraham, which was more or less what was common with the Babylonian language, if I may use the word. And Abraham was very familiar with what was going on around because he was living in Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia was part of what was. Is that okay? Are you with me? All right. Now, I was about to locate a book. It's called the Assyrian Dictionary of the Oriental Institute of the University of Chicago. Value number four. In that place, this is the way it is stated in relation to the issue of tithing. I'm talking about before Abraham. So you need to know where he got his understanding from. And somebody's going to be arguing now and say, well, it means it's a Babylonian practice. Not at all. Most of those laws you find in the book of Moses, they were picked from the laws of Hammurabi, especially the laws of marriage. I've taken time to study some of them. 
they were practicing them before they came in. Scripture tells us that the Gentiles who had no law, but could do those things which are the law, a law to themselves. God has never said without witness on the face of the earth. He has always raised the people. So, one of the, the kingdom that actually established and dominated the world was not just Babylon, but actually Egypt. The first kingdom that was upon the face of the world was the kingdom of Egypt. Then we're talking about Babylon. Why Babylon in relation to the captivity of Israel was because they dealt with the children of Israel. Are you still there with me? But they were laws that were governing the people. Now this is what you find in that dictionary. In the days of Abraham, this phrase was used to refer to the one-tenth tax of the tithe. A man was barley, that a man owns barley, and date as balance of the tithes of the year three and four. You see that there. The tithe of the king of barley of the town. You will see that there. With regard to the elders and the city whom the king has summoned to pay the tithes. All of this here in that dictionary of the Mesopotamians. Okay. But I would like this one. The collector of the tithe of the country. A person's name was mentioned that the king was sending out to do what? To collect tithes. Hallelujah. So tithing was there before Abraham came into the picture. So I want to say it's not a law. It's simply a financial principle. That actually is meant to augment the running of the days today affair of any government or kingdom. And I'm going to make you see that's what the Bible said. Give honor to whom honor is due. Pay your tribute. Pay your tax. Did the Bible say so? Good. So I want you to see that. Okay. So there was this standard I was already on before Abraham got that. So most of the nations of the Middle East... They were practicing tithing even before Abraham came into the picture. Okay, let me give you a typical example here. Joseph himself understood this and introduced tithing to managing the economy of Pharaoh. Can I give that to you in the Bible? Genesis chapter 47. Genesis 47. Hallelujah. The Bible says, then Joseph, I'm reading 23, Genesis 47, 23. Then Joseph said to the people, See, I have bought you in the land for Pharaoh. Here is the grain. Go and sow the land. And when you have vested a fifth of everything to Pharaoh, ask for yourself. Keep four parts for yourself to be used for next year's seed. And as for food yourself and for your household, and the little ones, if you will. You have sold, you have saved our life, they said. We will gladly be the sons of Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a law throughout the land of Egypt. And it is still the law that Pharaoh should have as well his 20% of all the crops ex- except those produced on the land owned by the temple priest. Did you get that? The tax that Joseph put in place as the economic advisor in Egypt was 20% to Pharaoh. He understood this principle. Alright? He understood the principle. So even right in Egypt, 
He understood the principle and he initiated it. Now, the priest basically has his own portion. But I'm saying that when he said, uh, how many to Pharaoh? Five to Pharaoh, four for yourself, which left. Who belong, where does he belong to? Amen. Are you getting what I'm talking about? It belongs to the priest. Belongs to the priest. All right. So I want you to understand this that the tithing principle was there. So when outdates the law, it was there before the law came into being. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Remember, this was Egypt. Abraham practiced it before this one took place. Is that okay? Abraham already practiced that before the children of Israel were taken to Egypt. And here Joseph had to bring it into practice as an economic principle. And the people said, we are so happy about that. Now you should understand. Oh my God. Listen, the people said, you bought a slave unto Pharaoh. By implication, if you watch it very critically and in terms of a biblical understanding, Egypt stands for the world. So Joseph was the type of person who bought the world for God. Did you understand that? And the people say, you have bought us. Now, for all those that have been bought, there is a demand on them on what to pay. Are you still there? Now, are we bought with the price? <laughs> so for everyone that is bought, for everyone that became a slave of the Lord, price to pay. Somebody said, I'm going to talk about Malaika. Don't worry, I'm going to talk about that. But I don't teach Thai from Malaika perspective. And I'm going to make you see why Prophet Malaika wrote what he wrote. Would you like to know that? Okay, we'll come into that. So, tithing equals taxation. And I want to prove that from the scriptures. First of all, let's look at the book of Mark chapter 12. And I'm going to be reading from the message translation. I'm going to be reading from... Um, Verse 13, let me take it up to 15. You know, they came to Jesus. First of all, came to the people, asking the disciples whether their own master paid tax, as the case may be. Amen? Are you still there? Okay. I'm saying tithing is equal to what? Taxation. Okay. And you must understand, as we're going to see much later, taxation, your pain of tithe, Actually, prove that we're a good citizen. Now, I'm going to make you see that. Now, verse 13 from the message translation. Do you have it on the board for them? Okay. They sent some Pharisees and followers of Herod to bait him. They wanted to trap Jesus, hoping to catch him saying something incriminating. They came up and said, Teacher, we know you have integrity, that you are different to public opinion. Don't ponder to your students and teach the word of God accurately. Tell us, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He took a trick question and said, why are you playing these games with me? Bring me a coin and let me. They handed him one. This engraving, who does it look like? And whose name is on it? This engraving, who does it look like? And whose name is on it? Caesar, they said. Jesus said, give Caesar what is his and give God what is his. Are you following that? Their mouth hung open, speechless. I like that. 
tell you something here. Two instances they wanted to really find out if Jesus was going to cause a revolution against the government of Rome. Caesar was in power. Caesar was in power. Pat governing for Caesar. Is that okay? Alright. Now, this is an instance. They wanted to say, well, do you pay tax? In other words, when you say you don't pay tax, that means you don't recognize Is that okay? Because only your a king or subject pay tithes to you. So if you say, I don't pay tax to Caesar, what it simply means is, it's a revolution. Meaning, you want the Hebrew people or the Jewish people to secede from the empire of Rome. This is what, now when they were trying him again, he said, are you a king of the Jews? And he said, you said so. Or who told you that? Now the question was on this ground. They went to tell him, he said he's a king. So, if he says he's a king, then he has to have the Jews to pay tax to him and not to Caesar. So, they also wanted to incriminate him. These are the two instances they wanted to use to incriminate Caesar. I mean, uh, Jesus Christ as somebody who was revolting against Rome. Do you understand that? Okay, but now the answer is, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. That means if Caesar is qualified for tax, for tax, God is also qualified for tax. But can we find a place where the Bible says God also needs your tithes? Leviticus 27. From the King James. Because he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So what belongs to God? Let's find what belongs to God. Verse 30, Leviticus 27. And all the tithes of the land, without the seed of the land, of the fruit of the tree, is what? Is the Lord's. It is holy unto who? Of. Hallelujah. Now don't forget, to Caesar, what belongs to Caesar? And give to God, what belongs to God? What does Jesus simply is saying, just as Caesar is a king, God is also a king. Is that okay? You honor your king, but also be sure you honor my king. So how do you, how do you, how do you prove that God is a king? Or how do you prove that Caesar is a king? If you want to prove that Caesar is a king, you pay tax. You want to prove that God is the king, you pay tithes. Does that make sense? Praise the living God. So Jesus established the fact that God is a king and he has a kingdom and should be treated as such. For instance, let's get out to the book of Romans. Let's see what Jesus said. Because somebody will say, well, what Jesus said before the cross. Alright? Jesus mentioned that before the cross. Okay, fine, no problem. Let's just look at something from the epistles. In Romans 13. Praise the Lord. You know, when you look at these documents, is that okay? Alright. For instance, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The power that that be of gain of God. For this cause, pay ye tribute also for they are God's ministers. That's verse number 6. Attending continually upon this thing. Verse 7. They abuse 
tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Okay, but I would like to read the message translation. Amen? Let's take it from message translation. I'm reading for verse 1 now. Message, Roman 13. Be a good citizen. I like that. You can't talk about, see, does it, <laughs> we talk about the kingdom of God. Amen? Hey, are we together? We talk about the kingdom of God. So, if God has a kingdom, that means there are citizens of the kingdom. Am I right? Alright. So, we have the kingdom of God, we have the kingdom of the world. But the key to need is to be what? A good citizen. How do you prove to be a good citizen? All government are under God. Insofar as there is peace and order, it's God's order. So live responsibly as a citizen. Verse number two. If you are irresponsible, irresponsible, responsible to the state, then you are irresponsible to with, who? with God. And God will hold you responsible. Duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you are trying to get by with something. Decent citizens, you have nothing to fear. Do you want to be on good terms with the government? Be a responsible citizen and you'll get on just fine. Verse number four. Don't walk into your advantage. But if you are breaking the rules right and left, watch out. The police aren't there just to be admired in their uniforms. God also has an interest in the order. Ask them to do it. Am I reading something? Is there a newspaper? Verse 5. That is why you must live responsibly. Not just to avoid punishment, but also because it's the right way to live. Verse number 6. That's also why you pay what? Taxes. So that an orderly way of life can be maintained. Fulfill your obligations as a citizen. Pay your taxes. Pay your bills. Respect your leaders. Is that the Bible? Pay your taxes, pay your bills, respect your leaders. Okay. Now the proof of you respecting the government as a good citizen is to do what? You pay your tax. Now remember what Jesus said in Mark 5. He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So in the true sense, we're living in a dual citizenship in, in a sense. Because he said we should respect the government. Is that okay? So, we are in this country, Jonathan is saying, the governor is there. If you need to be, if you really have to be a good citizen, it means you need to do what? Pay your That's what the Bible is saying. Okay? But then, understand that you also belong to the kingdom of God. So, if you are to prove that you are a responsible kingdomite, what are you supposed to be? You pay your tithes. So don't tell me the tithe is a law. No, it's a proof of a true citizenship. It qualifies you for the protection, the peace of God. Remember what the Bible says. God is also interested in peace and orderliness. Is that so? Did the Bible say so? And that is why I got the police. So I'm sorry. Maybe this may not be right. This may be getting a little bit off. Because you may say, well, there's no proof on that, or whatever the case may be. But I think, going by this, we have the kingdom of God, 
and then you pay if you don't pay your tax. Somebody comes up for you and, and it's called the police. <laughs> when you don't pay your tithe, I also think they're also police. Amen. Hallelujah. Now let me show you when you don't pay your tithe, what you try to do. When you don't pay tithe, it speaks volume. For those who have understanding. And I'm going to give you a scripture on that. 4 Samuel 10. 4 Samuel chapter 10. I'll read only one verse there. Verse 27. You see, when they anointed Saul as king in Israel. The Bible says some persons refused to come to Saul. Now there's a statement that he made. Verse 27. But the children of Belia said, Worthless people, how shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. In other words, we can see him as our king. So the proof of you saying, Jesus can save me, is to say, I can pay tithe to him. Because I don't recognize him as my watch this. When Jesus was born, the Bible made us understand that a wise man that came brought present. Watch you. They didn't bring present to a baby. They brought present to a king because they said we have come to worship the king because we are told a king is born. Therefore, you mustn't go to the king with an empty hand. Now the proof of the, man, the fact that you don't recognize Saul is not to come to him with present. That's what the Bible says. All the people what? Belia. Worthless people. Are you still there with me? Now listen. What I'm teaching you is not to force you to be a tighter. But I'm trying to make you understand that it's your duty as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And of course we are people who can violate rules. Amen? So I do not expect everybody to But tithe is a proof of your citizenship. Just like your tax paying is a proof of what? Your city to the government that you belong. Okay. Now the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. Did he say so? Alright. Now let me show you what Abraham did. Because Abraham lived in Mesopotamia and I told you before, these people were practicing tithing. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew how the citizen of Mesopotamia where he was living was honoring the king. Is that okay? So, why did he give the tithe? Can we look at Proverbs 3 verse 9 to 10? Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 to 10. Hallelujah. Look at that. Proverbs 3 verse 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance. Now don't forget. Give honor to who what? Is due. Hallelujah. He said, honor the Lord with a substance. So honor is not, hey, I love you. Oh, I respect you. No, honor is a response with what you have. He said, honor the Lord with what? Your substance. Give honor to whom honor is due. So number one, if you are a citizen of a country and you pay your tax, 
you give it honor to the leadership. Is that alright? Now if you are in the kingdom of God and the tithe belongs to God, Leviticus 27.30, is that okay? When you pay your tithe, what do you, you are honoring God. So when you honor God, what happens? Look at that. Honor the Lord with that substance and with the first will of all that increase. So shall the bands be filled with plenty and the press shall burst out with what? New wine. Did you get that? When you honor God, He in turn causes an income to you. There is something you need to understand here. Through your taxation, or the taxes you pay, the government pay the police. My country, I think we are now going to increase the number of police. And they are even going to increase their salaries. So that they can perform well. Okay. What's the purpose? They are able to protect the citizens of the country. That's the for increasing and increasing the number of police that the country needs. Amen? Right. Now, the salaries of these people basically are supposed to be paid from the taxes that you pay and to maintain roads and whatever the case may be. I help for the people. So the taxation for every government is meant for the, of the affairs of the citizens of that country. Are you still with me? Okay. So now, Israel, oh no, no, the Lord, with their first fruits, uh, talks about crops and all of those things. Now, sometimes people come to the point and say, like, I remember somebody once told me, Mr. David, listen to me. Abraham, uh, what he got spoils from, from the war. He didn't give money. What is spoils from war? They are already his possessions. Amen? And then he said, nobody tightened money. They were all tightened animals, tightened crops. Yes, Israel was an agrarian society. It wasn't a manufacturing society. When you are a manufacturing society, you convert product into cash. Amen? Come on, are we talking together here? So that's the point. So don't, don't talk to me by telling me, well, Israel wasn't giving money when they were giving crops. Because that's what they had. A civil servant is not a farmer. Hallelujah. Amen. So, don't try to get off this thing because you want to make some excuses. None of these excuses can hold. When a, when a king goes to war and defeats the enemy, everything that he has belongs to him. They are his own possessions. So he paid out of what he got from the war. But he recognized that it was God that gave him the power to get the victory. That is why he had to honor God. Amen. And it was voluntary. It was not compulsory for Abraham. Melchizedek did not demand it from Abraham. How many of you understand what I said there? But Abraham understood that there is a government and there is a kingdom and there is a God. It's like saying, if I was responsible, I was honoring the Mesopotamian government by paying tithe to them by way of taxation of my crops, I should also honor God by paying tithe to God. Abraham recognized that God has a government and he has to pay it to his representative, which is Melchizedek. Are you getting the picture here? I'm trying to give you the, the foundation because there are so many things we can say on this. But I'm giving you the foundation so that you can understand what we are talking about. Tithing. It's not the law. 
Hallelujah. So we find that God said there's going to be an increase on your vat, increase on your whatever, and your vines, showing that in generate is true. That godliness results in gain. True righteousness produces what? Prosperity. Are you sitting that with me? Godliness produces gain. And that's what we can find here. So you can take your time to read all of that. Now, if Abraham do this or did this, it shows something. As one will say, thoughtless, therefore, and wicked. May that man be who is continually receiving good from the Lord's hand without restoring any part for the support of true worship. Any part for the support of true worship and for charitable purposes to say their table shall become a snare to them and that he will cause their blessings. I would like you to take time to read Psalm 66 verse 2 and then Romans 11 verse number 9. Say, may their table become a snare unto them. It's like saying, if I bless you so much, and you can recognize to honor me, even the blessing becomes a cause. Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying here? I can bless you so much, and you can not in return for true worship, that the blessing turns out to become what? A cause. You need to understand that. Praise the living God. The table become a snare. So God expects returns of gratitude in this way from every man. Can I amen to that? Your tithing is what? A sign of gratitude of God who has so blessed you. He that has much should give plentifully, and he that has little should do also diligently to give the little that he has. It's not. A question. Let me explain something to you. Tithing must go proportionately to the increase that comes to you. Tithing is not fixed. But it's paid proportionately based on what is coming to your hand. Or how God has prospered you depends on how much you tithe. Is that okay? Now, let me show you something. First Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 9 and 10. Praise the Lord. Yeah, the Bible says, For it is written in the Lord of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the horse that treaded out the corn. Doth God take care for oxens? Or say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he that applies should be hope, and he that treasured in hope should be particular of his hope. Hallelujah. Now, something. The Bible says, don't muzzle the ox. Now, listen to this. People say, tithing is a law. Where is Paul quoting from now? Talk to me. Where do you think he's quoting from? From Deuteronomy. From the law. There is something you need to understand. When it comes to the sacrificial laws, done away with in Christ. But the moral laws are still standing. That is why the law is still saying, and you can't escape that, thou shalt not steal. 
Did the Bible say so? Somebody said the Ten Commandments is over. Not even the Ten Commandments is over. Will you go on stealing? Will you go on, will you go on stealing or doing some of those things that the Bible says? No. But yeah, they were the laws. The Ten Commandments. So we have the moral laws and we have the sacrificial laws. Now this is supposed to be a moral law. Which has to do with the financial prosperity of the people. Stewardship, if the case may be. And he said, Thou shalt not muzzle the all that they have come. And he said, Look, God is not just saying that because of, He was saying that because of us. What does it mean? He was saying that because of all who are ministers. We can't give you spiritual things and we can't get material things from you. That's what Paul is trying to say. Is that okay? So, how do you bring the material things? Because if you take time to read the Bible, Numbers chapter 18, God said, the Levites in the land, they should not have any land for themselves. That I am their portion. What I mean is, the tithe which are going to pay to me, I've given to them. That they might take care of the temple. Is that okay? And Paul is saying the same thing here. And he's saying, when God made this law, he never made it for the oxen. He made it for ministers. He made it for those who are to live by the gospel. You can take time to read it from verse number 9. To verse 14, I mean verse 9 to 14. We explain that to you. It is written for ministers and not for animals. But it was put in the law. So don't you tell me, listen to me, I keep on saying this. If you preach the scriptures and you just take a verse of scripture from the New Testament and make a doctrine, you are not a balanced teacher of the word of God. Because the Bible says, at the mouth of two or three witness shall every case be what? Established. If what I'm teaching you now, I can't back it up from the New Testament. It's not a doctrine. And so Paul will never teach that making reference to the Old Testament in that sense. Because one is a shadow, one is a real. And the more light comes, the more you'll be able to see the shadow. Reality comes to you from the Old Testament where you know who Christ is. Hallelujah. Are we making progress together here? Praise the Lord. So, Deuteronomy 25 verse 4, you're going to find out that that's exactly where Paul was quoting this from. And there is something that I need to make you see here. Hey, come on, ministers, you need to catch that. He said, us are plow, must plow in hope. Did you get that? What does that mean? In other words, you can't be a minister without thinking and believing that you're going to get rewarded. You have to be rewarded. I've always told people, don't tell me, well... Somebody once told me sometimes, say, Pastor, you know, you know, you give, God is going to bless you. He just gave freely. Oh, I'm fine. I said, whoever will go to the farm to sow without expecting harvest. Don't pretend. When you walk in the government, they pay your salary. You say something at the end of the month. Why will you work for God and you don't expect payment? God will definitely reward you. Even when he says, freely have you received Fully give what he's trying to say. Don't merchandise the knowledge that is given to you. But your reward comes from God. Otherwise, what will you say when Jesus answered Peter? I told Jesus, hey, master, we've been following you. We've left all things. What shall be our reward? That's a good way to start. You don't do anything without hope. Hallelujah. I told him, anything you've left behind, you're going to get how many times? 100%. You're going to get it back. So don't tell me there's no reward for doing the work of God. There has to be reward. He said, he that plow must plow what? In hope. So there's a place for harvest. Hallelujah. 
Are you still there? And some people will keep on saying, well, don't leave these people. They always think they are pastor, they have the best car, they have the best that. Well, I don't know. It is true, some people have abused whatever the office is. But there is a place for the reward for doing the work of the ministry. Don't tell me I have to live in poverty when I leave my lecturing job to become a minister. Huh? I should be living well doing that job for the government. But if I have to come work for God, God needs to take good care of me. So don't tell me I have to become a poor man after I've led my educational pursuits. That's not true. That's not the kind of God you're serving. You can't be a child and God will bring you out from the banking system and then make you a poor man. That is not true. He that apply must apply in hope. Can I hear a big amen to that? We are not serving a wicked God, are we? <laughs> Praise the living God. Alright, so I would like you to read the whole of that chapter. I don't have time to do that now. And that is why if you look at the book of Luke chapter 10 verse number 4. Uh, you're going to see what Jesus said there. Verse 4 and verse number 7. Luke chapter 10. He sent them out to preach the gospel. Okay. Now when you look at verse number 4, he said, Carry neither paws, nor scrip, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. Man, that is a terrible instruction. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. Salute no man by the way. Huh? Now, look at the next one. We explain why he told him that. Verse number 7. Go to verse 7. And in that same house remain eating and drinking. If you enter somebody's house. Okay. Verse number 7. Such things are they gave. For the laborer is worthy of what? He's higher. Now the next is go not from house to house. What does he say? Don't go become a beggar because they are a minister. Are you seeing that? Go not from house to house. Don't go and beg people. I am the one sending you. If you check the next chapter when he came back. And he asked them, when I sent you out without wallets, did you lack anything? They said, no, we lack nothing. Oh, come on. They plowed the hope and they reaped the harvest. Are you getting what I'm talking about? So don't tell me, if you do the work of the ministry, you have to be a poor man. That's not true. Men are supposed to bless you. Men are supposed to minister to you. Part of your tithe and your giving is what keeps the minister going. Can I hear any men to that? Say, salute no man by the road. You know what that means? Hey, sister, how are you? You just begin to greet people because you... <laughs> you say, but... Say, hi, sister. Well, thank God. Thank God. God is helping us, but it's not easy. <laughs> what is not easy? You are just sending a message. You are trying to say, hey, I need some cash. Amen? It's like saying, can you please help me? But instead of you coming straight, you're just trying to use wisdom. Amen? God said don't do that because the man that have employed you and is sending you out is able to meet your need. Can I hear amen to that? Praise the Lord. Okay, let me now show you final scripture or so and then you understand. Look at Malaika. Now I come to Malaika now. I told you before I'm going to let you see why Malaika was written. Why the statement of Malaika. Malaika chapter 3, chapter number 8, uh, down to whatever is number 10. You know this story now. I don't need to bother myself because there's something else. Okay. But Malaika chapter number 3, 8 to 10 tells you something. And the Bible made us to understand they say you are a cause with a cause because you rob God, because you don't pay your tithe and your offering. Is that not true? Right. And don't you forget. 
He didn't say just tithe alone. You can also rob God in offerings. Amen? Praise the living God. You also can rob God in offerings. That's what the Bible says. Alright. Okay. But I want to why this was written. That's my concern this morning. Now you go to Nehemiah chapter number uh, it does say Nehemiah chapter number 9. Uh, let me see. Okay, Nehemiah 10. Let's look at Nehemiah 10 rather. Can I say 10 or 13? I'm a little bit confused here. But I think it's Nehemiah 13 verse number 10 or 10, 13. I can see. I have my scripture here, but the verses give me some headache here. This is what it says. If you can check. Uh, my galaxy flipped my chapter off. Okay, let me just read this for you. Nehemiah was speaking. I perceive that the portion of the liver have not been given to them for the Levites and the singers that did the work and fled everyone to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. And they brought all Judah the tithe of corn and the new wine and all the oil unto the treasuries. Hallelujah. So understand this. I'm sure it's Nehemiah 13. Check that out. Understand. Huh? 13 from verse number 10. Check that out. Now, what happened is this. When Nehemiah was to rebuild the city, he found that the Levite who was supposed to be in the temple to do the work, they were no longer there. And he tried to make inquiries. Where are the Levites? Who are supposed to be in the temple? The singers, the priests, all of them. What happened was, as long as tithe was not coming in, the Levites decide to go and farm. It's like saying, if you can pay your tithe, if you can do what you're supposed to do, we also have hands to walk. Are you still there? Uh, most ministers, they have their own papers. They have their own qualifications. They can go out and get a job. Just in case, you don't know. God never told me to set my certificate on fire. They are still there. Amen. I could pick them up any day and get a job if I want to. Right? So, these people went to the farms. So, there was no work going on in the temple. And they might find out that this is the issue. Now, this is precisely why God spoke. Because when this was going on, everything was wrong with the people. Their crops were not doing well. Everything, rain was not falling. Because rain is the mainstay of the economy of Israel. Because when the rain falls, the crops will do well. Now the heaven were kind of stale over them. Not what's going on. So the people are crying unto God. God, why are we suffering? God, why is our business not doing well? And God now used Malaika to speak to them. This is the reason why your crops are not doing well. Do you understand that? The reason is... You starve my people. You starve my people. They are no longer in the ministry. They are no longer doing the job. They are now in the farm. So the work of the ministry, and because my own ministry is suffering, your crops will not do well. So when you neglect the work of the ministry, in terms of your tithes and offering, it turns around. So it's necessarily that God is going to bless you somewhere, something like that. What is it when you neglect the work of the ministry by assisting those in the ministry to keep on going with the work of God, even your own business end up doing what? Suffering. That's what it means. Hallelujah. Are you still there? Amen. Okay. So, 
Finally, this is what it means. Second Corinthians again, like I said before. If you read the Bible, it tells you, God loves a cheerful giver. Don't you say so? Amen? Come on, are we together? God loves what? A cheerful giver. So understand this, because time is not, I've just been told my time is up. Amen. When the Bible says, He that sweat bountifully shall also do all reap bountifully. He that sweat sparingly shall also reap all sparingly. And then I say, God loveth what? A cheerful giver. Now, connect that to Abraham. God, nobody told Abraham to give. He gave cheerfully. He gave willingly. He gave out of love. He gave out of recognition. He gave out of the fact that he understood that just like there is another kingdom, there's also a kingdom of God. God who will be king unto him. Are you there with me, somebody? God loveth what? A cheerful giver. So time should be done and I'm proud on the basis of grace and recognition of the fact that it is God that giveth the power to do what? To get words. But above all, understand this part. Biblical stewardship. Amen? It's a gift. Devotion. It's about the heart of the giver. The Christian willing to give out of poverty, not because it's wealthy. Macedonian church practice that. Remember that? Hallelujah. So, there is no amount of money you have that you can pay tight on. No matter how small or big, it has it of your heart. Tithing is a grace-giving principle. And it is an honor to the king of the kingdom. 